Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Focus your hearts, focus your spirits upon why we're here today, to study God's Word, to lift Him up, to worship Him, not with a particular style of music, but just to tell Him how much we love Him. fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart join us church in singing I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it When it's all about you, all about you, Jesus, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you Jesus I'm sorry Lord for the thing I've made it when it's all about you all about you, Jesus. All about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Amen. That's good. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4, we're going to look at the same text we looked at last week. I told you we would do that. And the title of the message today is the title of the series, Truth, Love, and Worship. We just sang The Heart of Worship that was written by a man named Matt Redman. 
Many of you know the story behind the song, but it's worth everyone knowing. Early in his career, Redmond, who is from the United Kingdom, was singing with his church's praise band, and the pastor of the church confronted Redmond and the rest of the members of the praise band. And he said to them that they seemed very proud of their musical performance. He emphasized that they played with a a sense of of, uh, pride in their musical performance. He told them that they were neglecting, however, what true worship was all about. That they were about the music and they were not about the worship. Well, most of the band members were insulted, flat out. And they left the church because of the pastor speaking truth into their lives. There was one who was perhaps insulted, but he didn't leave the church. He took what the pastor had to say deep in his heart. His name was Matt Redman. Matt Redman went away for a while, and when he came back, God had written a new song in his heart, and it's the one that we just sang, The Heart of Worship. And it says, as we sang, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. This series has centered on what I like to think of as the DNA of our church, truth, love, and worship. In this series, we have learned that God's Word is truth because God is is truth. We have learned that we must live the truth. We also learned that God has given us a a new commandment and that we were born again for love because God is love. We were born and then we were born again to be able to fulfill the new commandment of God being love. We face the hard truth of loving our enemies. That wasn't easy at all, was it? But we faced that hard truth of loving our enemies. And finally, we came to the heart of worship which, uh, to which we are called, the heart of worship about which we just sang, that we are to stay true to worship and, and uh, stay true to having the attitude of worship. And so today we bring this series to an end, trying Uh, tying all three strands of this DNA chain into a bonded cord that will make us stronger as individual Christians, and I believe better as a church and the ministries of our church. Hopefully, we will live more true to purpose than we've ever lived before because we understand that in our DNA is truth, love, and worship. Last week, I shared a text with you that I said would be our text again this Sunday. It's from the encounter Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well. She has told Jesus about the forefathers worshiping in the, on the mountain nearby, probably in a temple that they had built there. And she now believes Jesus, and she now believes Jesus is telling her that, that worship is to center in Jerusalem, to which Jesus makes this response in John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming 
and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Since Jesus refers to true worshipers, that's where we should begin, is with the truth. And the outline is very simple today. It's truth, love, and worship. The title of the message, the title of the series. First, truth. Now, I don't plan to just review the messages from earlier in the series, but there must be a deepened appreciation for the basis of all that we believe about God. And the basis for all that we believe about God is the truth. Uh, As it relates to God, there is one basis for truth, and that is the Word of God. Everything that I learned about God, including how to have a relationship with Him, how much He loves me, uh, how, how He is listening to me, how He is everywhere at the same time, everything that I know about God began with a basis of truth. When I was a little boy, I learned this song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There was never a time in my life that I separated the truth of God's love or God's presence or anything else from the reality that it all came to me through the Word of God. As Jesus prayed for you and me, he made this powerful plea to the Father in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Now, I think that we all have a, an understanding and a belief that the Word of God or that the Bible is the Word of God. There may be somebody here, it's a little squishy on it, but I believe that everybody has a, an appreciation, an understanding, a belief that the Bible is the Word of God. Here's the question. What is our <clears throat> relationship with the Word of God? If God's truth is a, is a cord in the DNA of who we are as believers, a body of believers, Shouldn't we have some kind of of a relationship with the Word of God? What is your relationship with God's Word? I want to give you four kinds of relationships. There may be more, but I want to give you four kinds of relationships that people have with the Word of God. The first relationship is probably not anybody in here. The first relationship is that people have a, a denial of the Word of God. There are people who deny that the Bible is God's Word. Now, while I say it's not the relationship of anybody in here, it is probably the relationship of most of the world. It may be the vast majority of the world. I don't know. It it may not be that way in your world, but the world out there is much bigger than your world or mine, and most of the world denies that the Bible is the Word of God. If we accept that the Bible is the Word of God, then we accept that it is holy, the Word of God. If we begin to dismantle the Bible and say, this part is the Word of God, but this part isn't, then how can we say that this part is? There are many people in the world today who have a a denial, a denial relationship with the Word of God. And while much of life is influenced by the truths of God's Word, 
there are relatively few who acknowledge that God or His Word really have anything to do with the way that they live or their values of life. Some people just simply deny the truth. Or they have their, their own truth. They say, well, this is my own truth. Or they have a, a truth that somebody else gave them. This is a truth that I believe. I, I have followed after this or that, and, and I believe this truth. And, and these truths may not be the Word of God. The moral decay of America and, and this world in general can be attributed to the loss of the Bible as the standard by which the world conducts itself. It used to be that the world conducted itself in large the civilized world, the world that knew the Bible, conducted itself in large by the, the Word of God. That's not necessarily true anymore. It's true a lot of places, and it's true to a certain extent, but it's not as broadly true as it once was. Missions is how we reach a world that is in denial or ignorant of the truth of God's Word. That's why we support missions. That's why uh, we support uh, uh, faith missions through, <clears throat> through individuals and through uh, the, the International Mission Board and, and North American uh, missions and, and so on and so forth <clears throat> because the world is in denial. I hope none of you are in denial. Here's the second thing. Some people have a distant relationship <clears throat> to the Word of God. Like Simon Peter who distanced himself from from Jesus as the trial was going on, there are some people who distance themselves from the Word of God. They have a once upon a time relationship with God's Word. Well, once upon a time, I believed that. Once upon a time, that was important to me. Once upon a time, I, I memorized those verses. Once, once upon a, a time. They still have a, a Bible and they still have it in their homes. They may have more than one Bible, but it has little impact on their lives. The Bible is, is a book. It's a book that's been sitting there and, and untouched for a long, long time. It's just a, just a book that they want to be a part of their lives, but they don't want to be in their uh, lives. It's a, it's a distant thing with them. The, the idea of going to church on Sunday like you did today is something that is just really foreign to them. Well, there's nothing that they do at church that really relates to my life. When in fact, if the church is preaching the Word of God, it is very relational to our lives. But there are those who have distanced themselves from that. What once was not something they... What once was very important in their lives is not something that's important today. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that church attendance is falling. It's falling in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's falling around the world. Yes, there are churches that are mega churches today, but the reality is that overall church attendance is falling. And, and let me say this, since it is back to school Sunday, one of the great tragic statistics of our day is the falling away of young people when they graduate from, from high school and they go on to college. <clears throat> they fall away. They, they step from a, a, a daily walk 
with their youth director and their youth groups and so forth, and they began a distant walk. They began to, to follow from afar. They began to stray away from that truth. Christians and those who aren't may still believe the Bible, but oftentimes they have no relationship to them. It's important. <clears throat> if God is important in your life, then God's Word must be important in our lives. Here's the third kind. The third kind of relationship that people have is a devotional <clears throat> relationship. Now, I think most churchgoers have a devotional relationship to the Word of God. Not so, and I'm not, look, and let me tell you this, I'm talking about other churches, not you. <clears throat> Those other churches, most of them have a devotional relationship with the Word of God. I'm going <clears> to <throat> tell you how they are and uh, so that you can feel better about how you are. Actually, most of us have a <clears throat> devotional relationship to the Word of God. This seems to be where most of the Christian world is, at least those in evangelical circles. The, the relationship is reflective. It's ceremonial. It's devotional. I've always been interested at weddings how that there is a, a devotional relationship to the Word of God. I always, I love it because this is a very standard thing, and you've seen it, and I have too, how that at the wedding, you want to make sure that God is at the wedding, and then you want to make sure that God is nowhere near the reception. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's heaven at the altar and hell out uh, at the reception. There are very few churches having receptions at, at the church anymore. And the reason is because, you know, we don't have all of the accoutrements needed for a proper uh, reception. This is what happens when our relationship to the Word becomes devotional, and that's just a, an item. That's not the, the biggest problem. It's almost like the time that, that Paul told Timothy about in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but they deny its power. Avoid such people. Does that sound like the day in which we live? Well, it is the day in which we live. In the rush to make church more relevant, and that's what's happening today, in the rush to make church more relevant, many of the distinctives of Christianity taught in the Bible are compromised, if not abandoned altogether. Now, I'm not a a traditionalist, really. I guess I'm somewhat of a traditionalist, but I'm not a a card-carrying, five-point traditionalist. Uh, I, I like traditional things. But I don't believe that 
you know, having church at a certain time on Sunday is, is non-negotiable. And, and I don't believe that, you know, you, like for instance, we didn't have the special music just before the message today. We had a, a different song before the message today, a congregational song. And, and you can go, I mean, I, I don't believe that you have to have a church building in order to have a church. I don't believe that you have to have pews. You can have folding chairs. You can have theater seats. You can sit under a tree, <clears throat> all those, those kinds of things. I, I absolutely understand that. But what has happened, what has happened is that in an effort to be relevant and to, to get the, the crowd, if you will, churches have allowed themselves to become devotional to the Word of God, irrelevant to the, to the Word of God. I wrote in a little blog not too long ago that, that when parents, when children get a certain age, the parents panic because the children don't feel the exact same way that they used to about their church. And so parents panic and they, they look for a church that their children will like when actually what they're doing is they're looking for a church that will be like their children. And, and again, don't get me wrong, I'm certainly not against <clears throat> churches that do church differently than we do. But, I, but we must be careful about what our relationship is to the truth. And the relationship to the truth is the most vital thing. Holy living has become a life without boundaries so long as you say your relationship with God is everything to you. I mean, I've seen it on television when, when celebrities and, and other people uh, proclaim their faith. And, and these people literally live hell on earth, and they say, God is everything in my life. If God is everything in, in your life, and your life doesn't reflect the truth of the Word of God, then you have a devotional relationship to the Bible. You have a, a different kind. Moderation has become the, the mantra. How deep in the world can I go and still claim to love God? is the way that it is today. Now, I can't say most, but, but many of the churches where the Bible is, is taught and preached to be the very Word of God have changed themselves to look for more of a <clears throat> devotional relationship. They want to make sure that they relate in their look, that they relate in their music, that they relate in so many aspects. And by the way, we want to make sure that we bring a good message too. Our relationship to the truth is not to be distant. It's not to be devotional. It's certainly not to be denial. It's the most important thing. In fact, here's the thing that, that our relationship must be. It must be dependent on the Word of God. We must depend on it. You may remember from the message two weeks ago when Jesus was under attack by Satan that he offered these words in rebuttal to an offer for food. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the level of relationship that we should have with God's word. You say, don't you think that's a little strong? Well, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. It's what Jesus said, did he not? 
we shall live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We should live our lives by biblical principles. We should operate our businesses and personal finances by biblical principle. And we should form our political opinions by the compass of the Word of God. And we should date and marry and be guided and so on and so on by the Word of God. Our relationship to the Word of God must be dependent. It must be the compass that tells us the way to go. Years ago, I made this statement, and it's more true today than it is uh, than it was years ago when I first made it. Here's what the relationship should be to the Word of God. This is the Word. That's the direction. The Word says, that's the direction. What has happened in our world as people have become devotional to the Word of God or distanced from the Word of God is that they have opened their Bibles, they have licked their finger, they have stuck it up in the air and said, now which way is the wind blowing? And then they look and they say, now how can I turn the Word to make it go that way? That's, that is the, <clears throat> the reality, and we must be careful. For you and me, <clears throat> there must be a strong relationship to God's Word and, and live by it. <clears throat> we, should, we should have this relationship where we say, I've got to be fed the Word of God. I've got to read it. I've got to be in the fellowship of God's people, and on and on. We should seek to be guided by the Bible. Flip that devotional relationship to the Word into a vital relationship to the Word. To be a vital tie to the Bible and and a ministering arm to the world, we must live by the Word of God. We must live the truth. Let me give you some famous quotes and then we'll move on. These are some quotes from some great people, leaders, spiritual leaders in days gone by. This is from the Prince of Preachers who Uh, from the late 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Saints not only desire to love and speak truth with their lips, but they seek to be true within. They will not lie even in the closet of their hearts, for God is there to listen. They scorn double meanings, evasions, equivocations, white lies, flatteries, and deceptions. That's what it's like when you live by the Word of God. Here's what a very uh, famous man in the first century by the name of uh, Augustine said, where I found truth, there I found, there found I my God, who is the truth itself. And one of the greatest Christian leaders and least known Christian leaders since the beginning of time was a man named Watchman Nee who died in 1972. How many of you know the name Watchman Nee? Watchman Nee uh, said this, genuine spiritual knowledge lies not in wonderful and, uh, and mysterious thoughts, but in actual spiritual experience through union of the believer's life with truth. When a truth is unfolded by God, it most naturally becomes a power in man who then finds himself able to believe. What is the DNA? What should be our DNA? We must have a dependent relationship on the truth. Here's the second thing, love. If there is to be truth, the truth is to be ministered in love. We know that God is love, 
and that we are called and born again to live out the love of God in and through our lives. We understand that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. If we know and truly live the truth we know, we will do so from a heart of love because without it, we're nothing. You can have all of the truth in the world, but without love, you're nothing. There are a lot of radical people who have done things that were just absolutely wrong in the sight of God, but they did so because they were right on a particular position. You know what their problem was? They were not led by love. Here's the most famous text in the Bible on love, 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. If we don't live our lives, if we don't live our faith, if we don't practice the truth in love, we're like a cymbal clanging. We're like the banging of pots. I have preached many messages on 1 Corinthians 13 and can probably do a sermon, but for the sake of this morning, let's just look at three things. First of all, let's take a look at love's service. The first three verses tell us all that can be done um, from a heart of love. The basic truth is that service for God done outside of the heart of love counts as nothing. I sure wouldn't want to come to the end of my life and ministry only to discover that it was all for nothing because it lacked love. Well, I did the right thing. I built this, I did that, I preached this and that. Yeah, but where was the love, Randy? How did you you love people during that time? This is back to school Sunday, as we've said, which means that we started another year here at North Florida Christian, and we're starting in this 
the area, the public schools and others tomorrow. I'm sure that everyone intends for this year to be great. I don't think that anybody has started this school year saying, I want this to be a stinker. I want this to be the, the worst year I've ever had. You look forward to a new start with some great students. You have mastered the subjects that you're teaching, and you're going to give your class this year the very best that you have to offer. I don't think that anybody here started off the school year and said, you know what, I'm not going to swing for the fences. I'm going to bunt. <clears throat> I'm going to just dribble one down the third baseline. Those of you who are coaching, you've already put together a plan for the best team that you can possibly have this year. You, you won't bring your, you, you not bring your team together to lose. You want to bring them together to win. That's all part of it. However, if your best efforts are given and you don't love your students with the love of God, the year's going to be lost. If your exasperation reaches the point that you lose your love and patience for children and teens, the teens to whom you minister, you have no reward because you didn't do it in love. You can win state championships and produce students who score well on tests and, and follow the rules of your class, but if there was no Christian love driving your service, then all you got was a paycheck out of it. You just got paid. I've never wanted to waste my life. I've never wanted to just work for a paycheck. Never. And I'm 63 years old now, and I think more about it now than I ever have before. Not wanting to waste it. Not wanting to put my life in a, in a situation where all I'm doing is drawing a paycheck. Because I know by now that in service for the king, if it's not done from a heart of love, <clears throat> it really is nothing. For all of us, <clears throat> our lives and our service must be motivated by love. Here's the second thing. We've seen love's service. What about love's sensitivity? The next few verses tell us about the sensitive nature of Christian love. Words like patient and kind start is the, are the start of our understanding. <clears throat> We're told what love's not. We're told that love is not envious, that love is, is not boastful, it's not arrogant, that love is not rude. I, I actually think some people think rude is a spiritual gift. <clears throat> they, they brag about being rude. I'll tell you what I told them. <laughs> they, they brag about it as though it's a spiritual gift. <clears throat> it's love that is as hopeful in its long suffering. If, if real Christians love, it's like the, the Energizer bunny. It just keeps going and going and going and going. Love prevents us from legalism. Love prevents us from the pharisaical life. Love is real inside, and it's real outside. It's not a show. It's not just a life choice. It's the reality of <clears throat> who we were born again to be. We were born again to love, to 
be as much like Jesus as we can. When we love someone, we are sensitive to them and and how our words and actions affect them. When we love everyone, we walk in a sensitivity toward other people. Love is sensitive. Love is careful what it says. It just is. Love doesn't get to running its mouth and then wishing that it hadn't said what it said. Love gets to running its heart and its brain and then says what it should say from a heart of love. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. Love's service, love's sensitivity, and then it ends with love's superiority. The closing words of 1 Corinthians 13 just simply tells us that love trumps everything. It's the red one in the rook game. It trumps everything else. 1 Corinthians 13, so faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. All of us have encountered different people and different kinds of people in our lives. Some were impressive, but there were those who were simply unforgettable. And they were the ones that, uh, who were unforgettable, who, who showed love in your, your life. They probably weren't perfect, but you never thought about that because they love you. Howard Greenbaum was the principal of Rosebank Elementary School when I was in the fifth grade, Von Seal. I got in trouble, <clears throat> got taken to the principal's office. Howard Greenbaum loved me that day. He broke through my mad, angry exterior, and he loved me. He was Jewish. I will never forget Mr. Greenbaum. Mr. Greenbaum made a difference in my life. Can you name a school teacher who made a difference in your life because they loved you? Helen Sprouse was my senior English teacher. She was absolutely the hardest teacher at Goodlettsville High School. That's G-O-O-D-L-E-T-S-V-I-L-L-E at Goodlettsville High School. <clears throat> But she loved her classes. She loved me. She cast a vision into my life. Even though I was a poor student, she she made me into a a good um, leader. She's the one who put into my life Juan de Aprile with his shortest sote. The droth of March hath perished to the rota and bother every vein and swish the core of which virtue engendered is the floor. When small a fool and mock and melody and slipping all the nisk with open ear. And I could go on because that's the prologue to Canterbury Tales in Middle English. She taught us that. And she loved it when we were able to stand up and say it. And after I was gone, 
from that school. She would tell other people about Randy Ray. And when I would go back, I would go and visit her. And I literally, may, I, I passed her class by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. But every time that I went back to see her, she told me what a wonderful student I was. <clears throat> she loved me. I, I could give you a list of names going all the way back the childhood to, to people who loved me along the way. Eileen Rimley, first lady in a church that I knew really loved me. She used to make me peanut butter pies at that Elder Springs Baptist Church. She loved me and I loved her. And people in this church who loved me and loved my family. <clears throat> there are so many people that we've grown up and the memorable ones are the people who loved us. There were two ladies that lived across the street from me. One was Buddy Lambert's mom. She treated me like I was her own boy. The other was the old battle axe next door that when we hit a ball in her yard, <clears throat> she ran out and got it. I can't remember that woman's name. I can remember what we did to her on Halloween. <clears throat> but I can't remember her name because she wasn't driven by the love that Mrs. Lambert was driven by. You remember those for the love that they showed in your life. A few Sundays ago, the Roberts family was here, Joe and Carol. They were on staff at NFC for a long time. Their daughter, Reagan, was a, a little girl when when she was here, and she's a young teenager now. And when Reagan was here a couple of Sundays ago, she always hugged me, by the way, when she was a little girl, always. And Reagan ran up to me the other day, a teenage girl, and she hugged me. And she told her mom, her mom came to see me later, and she said, did Reagan hug you? And she said, I said, she sure did. She said, you know what she told us on the way she said, I sure miss hugging Pastor Ray. I'm glad that that's her memory of me. I hope she never forgets. Someday my music is going to fade. And all is going to be stripped away. And I pray that she'll remember. In fact, I know that she will because that's what we remember. We remember the people who loved us. Finally, there is worship. Jesus said to the woman at the well, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. We ended our series with messages on worship, and so we end this message with an emphasis on worship. There are many actions of worship. When people worship, they raise their hands. When people worship, they close their eyes. When people worship, they bow their heads. When people worship, they smile. When people worship, they cry. When people worship, they sit in awe. When people worship, they speak out loud. 
When people worship, they sing. When people worship, they write. When people worship, they give. When people worship, they're happy. When people worship, they bring their hearts in alignment with God. When people worship, it's like Matt Redmond said, it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. As your pastor, there are a lot of things that I've wanted for this church for almost 22 years now. I could list them, but in the end, there are three things that I truly hope for. I truly hope that we will be a church who at the very core of who we are live the truth. And we speak it in love from a heart of worship. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.